to begin by reading from Luke chapter 24, and you'll see it on the screen behind me. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them, Jesus is alive. Some men ran out to sea, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. He broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they walked along the road and how they recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself suddenly was there standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we've already been able to worship you in this place today. We thank you that we're among brothers and sisters and that uh, we get an opportunity to look at your word and that you get this opportunity to speak to us. And so now I, I do pray that you would speak through me, that you would open up our hearts, our minds, that you would open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and God, that we wouldn't leave the same way that we arrived, but God, that you would be transforming our heart even now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, if we haven't met before, my name's John. I'm a pastor here at Crosspoint. Actually, just 10 years ago this week, I became the youth pastor here. I took a little bit of a break, and I've been back for the last several years in various roles. And I went to Bethany Bible College, which is now Kingswood University. And just yesterday, I finished my seventh year teaching guitar there. And so it's kind of nice to enter into, is it summer yet? Summer mode? Uh, and uh, anyway, it's, uh, it's, it's good to be here bringing the word tonight. Uh, have you ever met someone who thought they saw a ghost? No hands, seriously? So when I was at, it used to be called Bethany Bible College, and when I was in college, I played a lot of music and stuff, but in my later years, I actually worked at McDonald's, and so if you've ever stopped in Sussex and, and pulled in, I used to work there. And, uh, you know, I had the McGold card. I was employee of the month. It's no big deal, guys. And uh, I also, two months in a row. Uh, anyway, I also had hair. And it was enough that, like, when I put my hat on, you know, the wings kind of came out and stuff. Photographic evidence is intentionally unavailable at this time. But during one of my shifts in college, I was working at the counter. And this woman came in. And she just stared at me, and I was just kind of waiting, right? Like, can I take your order? I think that's how you say it, right? And she looked at me, and she said, John? I was like, yes. I thought you were dead. <laughs> nope. Still here. But what about the plane crash? Um, she thought I was John Denver. <laughs> she thought she was seeing a ghost at McDonald's in Sussex, New Brunswick. So, I mean, anyway, all my bags are packed. I'm ready to go. Um, so, <laughs> the connection here, uh, it's called Ghostwriter, and uh, Pastor Jamie actually had the idea for this. He, he asked me to speak this weekend, and so I asked him, I said, give me a little bit of, um, of your thoughts. Give me a little bit of, of what you hope for in a message like this. It's a one-off between Easter and between next week when we start a new series, and, and really the concept is about the red letters. Have you ever opened up your Bible, and in the New Testament, you see red letters that, that are the words of, of Jesus, and they're, they're red, representing the, the blood, of course, and, and life. Um, he, can, he continues to speak to us after his death and resurrection. Of, of course, we believe he, he's alive, and, and when we read the red letters, it's, but it, the, the concept is, is though it's from a ghost. And so the red letters, yeah, when you're looking in the, in the New Testament, not just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but you can find red letters, of course, in Acts, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and obviously at the end, you can, you can read lots of red letters in Revelation. And so when I was asking him, so do you have like an angle, that's pretty broad, so do you have an angle that you'd like, like me to take? And he's like, well, maybe something like the Emmaus Road, which is actually still in the gospel account, but it's, it's after the death, it's resurrection day, right? And so, you know, this could be an entire series rather than a one-off, but that's what we're going to look at. And just earlier this week, I was chatting with Pastor Dave and Vicky, and we were talking about how sometimes we'll read a passage or someone will present a passage to us that we've heard a number of times. And we thought about it this way, that sometimes you can think, I, I know this one, you know? And so there's a temptation, perhaps, to, to check out or to think, I, I know all about this. But whether we're hearing it for the second time, first time maybe for some, or for the 1,000th time, it's, it's not that we're adding to God's word. We're not saying that there's anything new written, 
But what we are saying is that God continues to speak to us because his word is alive. The word of God is living and active. But let's go back to the Emmaus Road for a moment. We're reading from Luke, but in Mark, it's briefly mentioned in in Mark 16, that afterward, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. They rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. So we know that in in Luke's account that one of the two disciples' name is Cleopas. Is anyone in here, would you say that your name is Cleopas and I just don't know it? Is it Cleo for short, perhaps? Uh, We don't know who the other disciple is. I just didn't want to offend anyone if I shorten it to Cleo. You you get the idea, guys. Come on. Could it be uh, Cleo's wife, Mary, or someone else? We're, We're not sure. But perhaps these two stayed in Jerusalem for the Passover and waited until after the Sabbath to return home, if if it is their home in in Emmaus. And they thought that the ministry of Jesus and the whole movement was over. That's why they're, they're heading out. To say that they were discouraged would be an understatement. When we started to read earlier in verse 13, we learned that the village of Emmaus is about seven miles from Jerusalem, over 11 kilometers to the Canadian. And if an average person walks about a mile in 20 minutes, it would be roughly two hours and 20 minutes to get from Emmaus to Jerusalem. And we believe this trip took place Sunday afternoon. When we're reading in verse 14 and 15, the message actually says that they're in deep conversation as Jesus came up and walked along them. And in verse 16, we're not sure why, but God kept, kept them from recognizing him. Now, number one, they're not expecting to see Jesus there. And also, if you're discouraged, I would only guess that you tend to have your, your head and your eyes down and not to the side, not up into people's eyes, perhaps. And when you're walking forward, you're probably looking ahead more than you're looking side to side. But they did stop for a moment at Jesus' question. In verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stopped short. So that added at least a minute to the trip. But there was sadness written across their faces. And the message said they just stood there, long face, like they had lost their best friend. Verse 18, then one of them, Cleo, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that happened there in the last few days. And what a hilarious question. What things? You know, as I was thinking about this, the first two things Jesus says to these followers are are actually questions, aren't they? Did you notice wise people ask great questions? You You ever notice that? If you listen to, say, a podcast interview or something like that, it doesn't take you long to find out who the good interviewer is because the best ones ask great questions that get the other person to share stories. And that's usually what makes it so interesting. And even when it comes to teachers and coaches, if you think about it, quite often the best ones ask more questions than just the average ones. So here's Jesus, the great teacher, and he asks, what things... And then they tell Jesus about Jesus. Can you imagine? You're going to teach the greatest teacher of all time anything, let alone about himself. But again, their eyes are not open to this yet. And in verse 19, they start to to explain the things that had happened. Well, the things that happened to Jesus, the man of Nazareth, they said, 
He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. All this happened three days ago. We had hoped. We had hoped. They said, we had hoped he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. I think we could t- preach at least an entire series over those three words, we had hoped. It's about expectations, in this case, in God's plan, expectations of the Messiah, who that was, and, and what the Messiah really meant. In Luke twenty-three thirty-five, this is during the crucifixion, Seeing the crowd watched and the leaders scoffed, he saved others, they said. Let him save himself if, he really, if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. So the followers had hoped Jesus was the Messiah, but as we read in Luke 24, 20, but our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah. See, in this case... His death brought confusion. Don't miss this. The death is what confused. The resurrection is what convinced. They all thought Jesus was the Messiah, and if he was the Messiah, he couldn't die. He was supposed to rule and rescue and lead them. They had placed their hope in him, but their hope died with him on the cross. His last breath took the wind out of them, and their hope. His death confused his followers. As we continue in verse 21, this might sound really familiar to us. We have just so much information beyond what what they had in that moment, because we hear this all happened three days ago, and we think a lot about the third day, the third day. Three days ago, it's the third day. But they didn't see Jesus. Reading from Matthew, you know, Jesus did Obviously, in multiple occasions, uh, he shared his prediction of his death and resurrection with his disciples, saying that he would be killed, but on the third day, right? As we read in Matthew 16, 15, and 17, it starts this way. He asked them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And if we skip down to verse 21, it said, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But maybe you know this story. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. So why did Peter respond in this way? Well, because the son of the living God surely cannot die. God would never let that happen, right? The Messiah is meant to be a conqueror, isn't he? He is supposed to live and rule forever and ever, amen but first he would be killed. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. See, before God makes everything about this world new, he would restore 
the dead to life. He would take back death's power over humanity. Death no longer has a hold on us because even if we die, God can raise us to new life because Jesus is no longer, because of Jesus, we no longer have to fear death. And as we just celebrated last week, Easter isn't just about Jesus' resurrection, it's about our own future resurrection. And that's why we're having baptisms next weekend. We're celebrating our 125th anniversary as a church, but also we're going to celebrate. We have at least five. There's three elementary age students. There's a, a middle school age student. There's, there's adults. There's, there's others. Uh, if, if you're ready, uh, we will help you with that. We will dunk you next week. And the whole thing is that it represents this outward thing that we do back here behind this curtain. There's a, there's a tank filled with, it will be warm water, I promise. I pray over it that it will be warm water. But it, it's a representation in front of all of these people about this inward transformation that Jesus has already done in your life. Baptism isn't what saves you, but it is that important next step after your first step of taking a step to follow Jesus. And we don't read about any unbaptized followers in, in the New Testament, not that I can recall, but, but we do encourage you to go public. And this is in front of the home team, right? This is in front of people who are going to be cheering you. As you come up out of that water, you're going to hear everyone cheering with you. And so we would encourage you to be a part of that. And as you can see, there's people even last week that these light bulbs represent while we were at Easter whether it was going from chaos to clarity or from darkness to light, this is representing life change, and, and baptism is, is an amazing way to represent that. Earlier in chapter 24, did you notice that we started at verse 13? I left out a little bit, but the women went to the tomb, and do you know why they did that? Because they expected a body. They had these burial spices to take care of Jesus' body. See, as death happened so close to the Sabbath that men quickly took him, wrapped the body, and placed him in the tomb. There wasn't much time for anything else, and the women were waiting for the Sabbath to be over to properly care for Jesus' body, and they were expecting a body. Reading at verse 1, it says, But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And as they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dashing robes. What's, what are dashing robes, by the way? I didn't get to that part in my interpretation, but if someone could fill me in later, I would, I would love to know. Uh, in verse 5, the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and then he would rise again on the third day. Did you catch what they said? To remember what he told you, that on the third day. Then they remembered that he said this. So his death had confused them, but the resurrection convinced these women. So what did they do? They headed back to tell the men, but in verse 11, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. This should encourage us. Why? Timothy Keller writes this, the resurrection was an, as inconceivable for the first disciples, as impossible for them to believe, 
as for many of us today. They weren't waiting there with confetti cannons, I heard one, one person say. They weren't expecting this. Even though they heard it time and again, it wasn't until after that they remembered what he said and then saw how the scriptures pointed forward to this time. They were confused about it, but the resurrection brought clarity. So Jesus says in verse 26, wasn't it clearly predicted? I thought of it this way, that when we're hurting and when we're grieving, it's, it's hard to see clearly. And sometimes we have kind of tunnel vision. Do you ever get that? Is that just me? The men, if you think about it in more of a poetic sense, as they're walking that road to Emmaus, when they started, they're, they're walking in daylight, but it's as though they're covered in darkness. Unknowingly, they're walking beside the light of the world. When their eyes are opened, they return at night, but then they were filled with the light, and that's what they brought back to the others. There's this kind of contrast of darkness to light, and that's, that's one of the, the purposes of, of kind of the, the clarity that we try to have behind our, our theme for Easter. Jesus said, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. That's, that was our motivation for last weekend is to see people move from darkness to light and from, from chaos to clarity. And if you look at this cross, I think right now, if you count them one by one, there's at least 17 uh, light bulbs up there that represent people that have, have found some clarity even last weekend. And, and in this world that is of darkness and chaos, the life of Jesus brings light and clarity. That's what this is all about. The death represents darkness and the resurrection represents light. The death represents chaos. The resurrection represents clarity. But it was hard for these early followers of Jesus to see this until after the resurrection. Then they saw him with their own eyes. The death is what confused, but the resurrection is what convinced. It's almost 20 years, and the last time I preached, I know I mentioned it, but from a different angle is I, I grew up going to church, and I was taken... Uh, by my grandmother, and, and I'm so appreciative of that. I believed my, the, the, the concept of God made sense to me. The story of Easter made sense. I just didn't know what it meant for me for, for the now, if that made sense to you. And in 1999, I was at Riverside Camp, and uh, it, was, it was like this. When I was thinking about even last weekend as we were praying for people, uh, who were at our Easter service, I, I was thinking back to what it was like to see clearly for that first time, almost as if you need your glasses and you're like, where are they? And you put them on, ah, and everything's clear again. That's kind of what it was like for me. I thought God existed but was very distant. And so in that moment where I actually went forward to an altar very similar to the ones right here, I went forward to an altar, I asked God for forgiveness, I asked him into my heart, and I remember afterwards when I went back to my cabin and I picked up my Bible and I, and I had read it before, but all of a sudden, for some reason it was clear. For some reason it was in focus. For some reason God had chosen that moment to make it easy for me to understand that this, this was, there was life in this. It wasn't some text, but it was truly God's word. And, and I share this with you, uh, not to t totally convince you of something, but to share, I'm, I'm not doing this tonight because it's my job or something like that. I'm doing this because 20 years ago, God called me from darkness to light. And he called me into ministry. 
And so 20 years later, I get to share this with you, not just because of an old story, but because something that's still transforming lives today. That's what I want you to know. In Luke 24, as we continue, verse 30 and 31, it says, as they sat down to eat, or there's a little footnote, as they reclined, because they, they didn't just sit down at a chair, they, they actually were kind of spread out with their legs behind them. As they sat down to eat, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them and suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. That's how I felt that first moment. I finally recognized, oh, that's Jesus. But did you catch that? Did you catch the he took? He blessed, he broke, and he gave. I remember a sermon Pastor Mark preached a few years ago, maybe five years ago, and he was sharing about this pattern that actually goes throughout Scripture. If you start reading the Bible and picking up on these little patterns, you'll see it throughout, but especially in the life of Jesus. And if you think about the feeding of the 5,000, he took, he blessed, he broke and he gave. If you think about the Last Supper, what did he do? He took, he blessed, and he broke and he gave. And Jesus' whole life is a picture of that, the Father taking him, blessing him, if you think about what he said during the, the baptism, even before the ministry began. But then he, he broke him and he gave him for us. And now here in Emmaus, these two followers finally recognize this pattern that is a signature it is a trademark, one author said, of, of, of God. Uh, this is something that he just continues to do. He, he takes, he blesses, he breaks, and he gives. And as we continue, Jesus said, Why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Why did he show them his hands and feet? Well, I think he was showing them his wounds. This was a reminder that he did have to suffer for them and for us. As Isaiah once wrote it, with his wounds we are healed. And as we close in, in just a moment, I, I wanted to read this summary that an author wrote of, that kind of encapsulates the, the gospel in, a, in about a paragraph. But I just want you to look at this cross over here right now. Did you notice there's still several open spots there? We do want more than five people to get baptized if, if there's someone here that has not yet taken that, that next step. And if you haven't even taken your first step, you could do that right now. You could do that tonight. We're here ready to celebrate with you, to pray with you. Um, this is what we did at Easter. There are these little baskets on these subwoofers here. And there's light bulbs in there. And so whether now or right after service, if this is a moment where you're going from darkness to light, from chaos to clarity, we'd love to help you screw in a light bulb that represents that light. But not only that, we want you to get baptized next week. We want you to do that. And we'll talk to you about that afterwards, but I don't want to leave that opportunity out. The invitation's there, and we can talk afterwards. But, but listen closely to this, whether you feel like you already know the gospel or you're hearing it perhaps for the first time. Listen closely to this summary. 
God made you to love him supremely, but he lost you. He returned to get you back, but it took the cross to do it. He absorbed your darkness so that one day you can finally and dazzlingly become your true self and take your seat at his eternal feast. That is the gospel, and you're invited to that feast. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this, this passage. I thank you so much for the women that went to the tomb, for those that stood in disbelief, which is a huge encouragement to us as we sometimes fail to see or find it hard to believe. I thank you for those, those followers who were on the road, walking actually away from it all. But I thank you so much for opening their eyes and, and in this case, hopefully opening up our eyes as well. God, if there's someone that is hearing this maybe in a, a fresh way tonight, I, I pray that you would continue to stir their heart in this time that, God, you would be making an invitation for, for them to come to the feast, that you've provided everything that needs to happen for that, but that they need to walk into that. And so, God, we do pray for those that need to make that first step from darkness to light, and for anyone that might need to take a next step, whether it's baptism or, in general, moving from chaos to clarity. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.